It's November 1904, and at the St. Louis World's Fair, an excited crowd is gathering to witness a new breakthrough in food. The fair's already shown them plenty of edible innovations. Yellow hot dog mustard, iced tea, Dr. Pepper, and ice cream cones. But they've heard this demonstration is a must-see. From their seats on the bleachers, the crowd can see an arena containing a cage that looks like a baseball batting net made out of wire gauze. Suddenly, a man dressed like a circus ringleader bounds into the arena. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Quaker Oats Grand Demonstration. Today, we will show you the newest and most wonderful food marvel. So prepare to be amazed. Prepare to be stunned because it's time to bring out the cannons. On cue, assistants wheel eight brass cannons into the arena. Their openings are covered and they're glowing red hot. The assistants line up the cannons so their muzzles point into the cage. These cannons once fired cannonballs in the Spanish-American War, but today they will shoot puffed rice. Are you ready? Everyone, brace yourselves, and fire! The assistants standing by each cannon knock covers off the muzzles, and a blizzard of what looks like popcorn explodes out of the cannons and into the cage. The smell of roasted cereal fills the air. People stare at the pale heaps now piled at the end of the cage, trying to figure out what this stuff is. There it is! Puffed rice! The audience is impressed, but they're still unsure what they're looking at. The assistants start scooping the puffed rice into paper bags and hand them out, urging the crowd to taste it. A few do, chewing tentatively on the bland but pleasant grains. Yes, puffed rice is food from a gun. We load normal grains of rice into the cannons and then heat the cannons to more than 500 degrees. Quaker Oats has discovered that doing this causes the moisture in the rice grains to steam. But the steam can't expand because it's trapped under pressure in the cannon. When the cannon is opened, the steam expands instantly, inflating the rice grains to eight times their normal size and forcing them out of the barrel. It's the perfect crowd pleaser. The people in the audience munch contentedly on their puffed rice as the ringleader finishes his routine. And this patented process creates the most digestible ready-to-eat snack ever created. Quaker Oats thinks puffed rice is the new popcorn. But the company will soon realize that what it's actually created is a new kind of cereal that will bring the Chicago hot oatmeal king into the cold breakfast business. And for Will Kellogg, Quaker's explosive entry into cold cereals is another reminder that time is running out. If he wants to use cornflakes to build a cereal empire, he must make a choice, cut ties with his brother, or miss his chance to get filthy rich. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. 
You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. On the last episode, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg watched former patient Charles Post make millions on the back of his serial innovations. But now, his younger brother Will has had enough of sitting by, watching others get rich. This is Episode 2, Breakfast of Champions. It's June 1905, and Will Kellogg wants to break free. He's lived his entire life in his brother's shadow, but no more. He strides through the Battle Creek Sanitarium, down the corridors where he spent years as Dr. Kellogg's workhorse, past the kitchen where he and his brother created the recipes that turned Battle Creek, Michigan, into Cereal City, USA, a boomtown where everyone but him seems to be getting rich. The problem is his brother the brother who insists on selling cornflakes by mail order, the brother who won't fund a bigger factory or sweeten the recipe, the brother who's kicked him around ever since he was a kid. Dr. Kellogg is at his desk when Will marches into his office and makes his demand. I want to buy the cornflake rights and start my own business. Will doesn't need his brother's permission. The courts have already struck down the doctor's cornflakes patent. But Will wants a clean break. Dr. Kellogg stares at Will. Like their father, he can't imagine his stout brother with his thick glasses and downturned mouth amounting to anything. Nor can he understand why Will no longer wants to help him improve the nation's health. But Will's timing is perfect. Dr. Kellogg has borrowed heavily to turn his sanitarium into a cutting-edge medical facility, and now he's drowning in debt. Dr. Kellogg strokes his thick gray goatee. Fine. 
but it will cost you. Will maintains his poker face and nods, but as with everything in their relationship, it's not that easy. They spend the next six months bickering over the contract before finally signing a deal in January 1906. By July 1906, Will's cornflakes business is up and running. It's called the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflakes Company, and its home is a ramshackle factory near the railroad tracks. The factory's centerpiece is a three-story high Ferris wheel. On the wheel are open-topped metal boxes that carry freshly flaked corn dough through the factory's ovens. The slow turn of the wheel exposes the flakes to just enough heat to make them perfectly golden and crisp. Once cooked, workers empty the flakes into white and green boxes that bear the words, Toasted Corn Flakes, and the message, None Genuine Without This Signature Above Will's Spidery Autograph. As the Ferris wheel turns, Will is in his office, leafing through the latest edition of Ladies' Home Journal. He's searching the best-selling magazine to see his daring new ad in print for the first time, and he finds it on page 37. Will doesn't have a national sales force, and nine out of ten grocers don't stock his cereal, so he uses an ingenious gambit to get customers to do the work for him. His ad tells readers if they can persuade their grocer to stock cornflakes, they win a free season's supply. The ad turns American housewives, eager for a free supply of cereal, into Will's unpaid sales army. Within months, sales of cornflakes leap from a thousand boxes a day to more than a hundred thousand. In June 1907, Will's instinct for shrewd advertising strikes again. Mysterious billboards and newspaper ads start appearing across the country, urging housewives to wink at the grocer and see what you get. It's racy stuff for 1907, but plenty of women take the bait. What they get in return is a free box of cornflakes. The flirtatious promotion boosts sales of the cereal 15-fold in New York City alone. But just weeks later, disaster hits. It's the night of July 4th, 1907, and Will's running through the streets of Battle Creek in a panic. Moments ago, he was told there's a fire at his factory. He's praying it's just a small blaze, but when he reaches the building, his hopes evaporate. The entire factory is engulfed in flames, and the wooden structure is already starting to collapse. By dawn, there's nothing left. Just ash, twisted metal, and smoldering wood. The cause is unknown, but a stray Independence Day firework seems the likely culprit. And thanks to Charles Post, it won't be easy to restart the business. A year ago, Post struck a deal with Lawhoff Brothers, the manufacturers of the dough-rolling machines essential for making cornflakes. An exclusive deal that prevents Post's rivals from buying the equipment needed to flake corn. And now, the deal's paying off for Post. Will was fast becoming Post's biggest threat, but now he won't be making cornflakes anytime soon. And that means more sales for Elijah's Manna, Post's biblically-inspired cornflakes. A dejected Will returns to his burnt-out factory. 
He walks through the rubble feeling like Icarus, the boy who flew too close to the sun and saw his wings melt away. But then, his foot hits something hard and metallic. He bends down and brushes the ash away. Will's eyes widen. It's one of his rolling machines, badly damaged, but intact. He runs to the nearest telephone. Operator, connect me to Lawhoff Brothers in Detroit. Lawhoff Brothers, Frank Lawhoff speaking. Frank, it's Will Kellogg. I know you can't sell me new rolling machines, but tell me, d- does your deal with Post stop you from repairing old ones? Uh, no. Uh, no, it doesn't. Will's just found the loophole Post missed. He pulls all his fire-damaged rolling machines from the wreckage and sends them to Detroit for extensive repairs. By summer 1908, Will's back in action. His rebuilt factory is working around the clock. Every day it produces more than four million boxes of cornflakes. He's also renamed the business the Kellogg's Toasted Cornflake Company. And to top it off, Charles Post is in trouble. Church groups are unhappy with him turning the prophet Elijah into a cornflake salesman. And they've caused such a stink, Post has to rename his flakes Post Toasties. There's more trouble for Post on the way. In 1911, Collier's Magazine runs an expose on the health claims Post uses to sell his cereal. It reveals how Post promotes grape nuts with endorsements from non-existent doctors and false claims that his cereal can cure appendicitis. On top of that, the crippling stomach pains that first brought Post to Dr. Kellogg's sanitarium have come back. As his health fades, he slides into a deep depression. Post retreats to his grand mansion in Santa Barbara, but the Californian sunshine does little to lift his spirits or restore his health. On May 9, 1914, the 59-year-old serial magnate lies on his bed, puts a hunting rifle to his chin, and pulls the trigger. Post's 27-year-old daughter, Marjorie, inherits his $70 million business empire. She immediately horrifies the business community by insisting that she will run her father's company rather than entrust its future to the men around her. By then, Will Kellogg's company has replaced Post as the leading cereal manufacturer, but that success is about to spark another clash with his brother. Dr. Kellogg hasn't been idle since splitting with Will. In fact, he's just created a new kind of breakfast cereal, Bran Flakes made with a fiber-rich outer layer of wheat grains. Dr. Kellogg thinks bran flakes are the ideal food for the constipated. But for all Dr. Kellogg's high-minded claims to be ministering to the gastro-distressed, he's also jealous of his brother's financial success. So he forms the Kellogg's Food Company of Battle Creek and starts selling Kellogg's sterilized bran flakes to grocery stores. By 1915, he's selling around 600,000 boxes of Bran Flakes every year. Will is furious. His company might sell millions of boxes of Corn Flakes every year, but he cannot stomach his brother getting a piece of the breakfast cereal action. 
He sees Dr. Kellogg's use of the family name on Bran Flakes as a deliberate attempt to confuse consumers. So in late 1915, Will hits back at his brother. He launches a new cereal, Kellogg's 40% Bran Flakes. The following year, he ups the ante with a shredded cereal called Kellogg's All Bran. Finally, the brothers sue each other for control of the Kellogg brand, a showdown fueled by decades of mutual resentment. It's spring 1917, and in a Battle Creek courtroom, it's the moment of truth for the Kellogg brothers. Dr. Kellogg takes the stand, determined to prove he's the real Kellogg. I alone created flaked cereal. The patent identifies me and only me as the inventor. Will just followed my orders. He denies this now because he's obsessed with money. But as a physician, I pledged an oath to work for humanity's benefit, not my own. Later, Dr. Kellogg's attorney cross-examines Will. Mr. Kellogg, surely you agree that Dr. Kellogg is one of the world's foremost physicians? Will nimbly sidesteps the question. I'm unaware that my brother has a reputation as a food product innovator. The attorney nudges his spectacles up his nose. But in the past, you've said he's played an important role in creating flaked cereal, have you not? Will shrugs. I can't recall saying that, but... What I can say is my brother always took credit for my work. We invented flaked cereal together, but he put the patent in his name. He wanted to grind the flakes into crumbs until I persuaded him otherwise. I was the one who added sugar and salt to make them taste better. He refuses to add these ingredients. That's why his flakes are so bland. Several months later, the brothers are back in court to hear the judge's verdict. I find that when the public thinks of Kellogg's cereal, they think of the cereals made by Will Kellogg's company. As such, I rule he owns the Kellogg trademark and Dr. Kellogg must stop using the surname to sell his food products. It's a crushing defeat for Dr. Kellogg that forces him to retreat from the cereal business. He and Will barely speak again. As the 1920s begin, Will Kellogg's dreams have come true. He now owns America's top cereal maker, recently renamed the Kellogg Company, and he no longer answers to his brother. The threat from Post is easing, too. Since Charles Post's suicide, Marjorie Post has been expanding the company's horizons beyond cereal by producing other packaged foods. But the ceasefire in the cereal wars won't last. In Minneapolis, a new and ambitious challenger is about to burst onto the scene. Its name is General Mills. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant sort of looks the same? Well, amidst the chaos, there is one shining star that is certainly worth your culinary affection. 
Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Choose from classic meal kits that can be prepped in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes. My favorite recipe is carb-conscious and calorie-smart but super satisfying. It's turkey meatball pomodoro with roasted garlic butter broccoli. Look, we've tried a lot of home delivery meals before. But Home Chef is superb, from the taste to the simplicity to the selections. And for a limited time, Home Chef is offering my listeners 18 free meals. Yes, 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life. You can find it at homechef.com BW. That's homechef.com BW for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com BW. Must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. It's August 1929, and the mood in the General Mills boardroom is downbeat. Five years ago, the company launched a whole grain wheat flake cereal called Wheaties. It was supposed to be a new dawn for the world's top flour producer, a way to escape the confines of the no-growth business of milling flour. But Wheaties fell far short of expectations, and the company's been unable to figure out why. So today the board has gathered to bring down the axe on its failing cereal. A pinstriped executive updates the board on the situation. Wheaties' sales have dropped by half in the past two years, and they weren't great to start with. It's time to give up. But then, Ad Chief Samuel Gale jumps in. I think there's a way to turn it around. I've checked the figures. Wheaties struggles everywhere except Minneapolis-St. Paul, and I think that's because of the Wheaties Quartet. Everyone in the room knows the Wheaties Quartet. They're the vocal group paid by General Mills to sing the praises of Wheaties on a Minneapolis radio station each week. There's this new coast-to-coast radio network. It's called CBS. Let's stick the quartet on there and see if they can do what they've done here, just everywhere. The board decides it's worth a shot. A few weeks later, the Wheaties Quartet goes nationwide. The jingle works wonders. Wheaties sales rise 12-fold in just two years. Encouraged, General Mills doubles down on radio. It sponsors live baseball games until the phrase... Wheaties, the breakfast of champions, becomes synonymous with the sport. It funds a radio series based on Skippy, a hugely popular newspaper comic strip about a mischievous kid. Then, it goes one better. It creates a radio star of its own. Wheaties, breakfast of champions, bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. 
Jack Armstrong becomes one of radio's biggest shows. Each week, millions tune in for the latest adventures of this Wheaties-munching globetrotter. And as he uncovers foreign spies and hangs out with the Dalai Lama, sales of Wheaties climb and climb. By the mid-30s, Wheaties is on track to claim more breakfast bowls than Kellogg's cornflakes. General Mills has gone from wannabe to a fast-rising threat to Kellogg's Post and Quaker Oats. And it's only getting started. It's 1934, and in Minneapolis, General Mills' 47-year-old boss, Donald Davis, has gathered his top team for a presentation from his new market research team. Market research is a flashy new business idea, and Davis is an early proponent. As Davis takes his seat at the conference table, the research chief begins. All the new vitamin discoveries have really got people interested in foods that contain micronutrients. We feel there's potential in vitamins. We also found that people dislike cereals that get soggy too quickly. Davis turns to chief food scientist Lester Borchart. Borchart's a skinny man with a pencil mustache and hair parted down the middle. Lester, any thoughts? Popcorn could reduce sogginess. Recent breakthroughs in vitamin synthesis mean we might be able to add vitamins to cereal dough. Uh, we could also spray vitamins on the cereal after cooking. Davis smiles. Sounds like we're on to something here. A puffed corn cereal with vitamins could give us a big edge over our competitors. In 1937, General Mills' vitamin-enriched corn puffs arrive. They're called Kicks, and they sell fast. Quaker Oats is shocked. The Chicago Giant used to have a monopoly on puffed cereal, but now that its patent has expired, General Mills is stealing its customers with a vitamin-drenched alternative. Quaker tries to fight back by spraying its puffed cereals with what it calls a vitamin rain, but General Mills is already thinking one step ahead. After Davis's researchers tell him an oats cereal would stand out from Post and Kellogg's corn and wheat offerings, he gets Borchart to develop one. In May 1941, that ready-to-eat oat cereal arrives. It's made from donut-shaped oat puffs that float in the milk like tiny lifesavers. The company names the cereal Cheerios, but they'll soon get a new shorter name, Cheerios. Cheerios give General Mills the final sales bump it needs to replace Quaker Oats as the number three cold cereal maker after market leader Kellogg's and second-place manufacturer post. But even as General Mills muscles into the top three, a cereal revolution is being born in suburban Philadelphia. It's breakfast time, and heating equipment salesman Jim Rex is staring at his kids in horror. They're spooning so much sugar onto their puffed wheat, it's making him gag. Then... He has a flash of inspiration. What if breakfast cereal came pre-sweetened? That way, kids wouldn't want to bury their breakfast in sugar. A few days later, he dips some puffed wheat in honey and corn syrup and bakes it at a high temperature. The puffs emerge from the oven with a hard, shiny sugar coating. His kids love it. He names it Ranger Joe and starts a business. It's a kitchen table operation, but it's going to set in motion a chain of events that will sweeten millions of mornings. 
On the next episode, Ranger Joe causes a sugar rush, a scruffy ad man lights a fire under the Kellogg Company, and General Mills struggles to keep up. Hey, Prime members, you can binge every episode of Business Wars ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. A quick note about the conversations in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said, but the dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Donna Hyams edited this story. Our editor and producer is Jenny Lauer Beckman. Sound designed by Bay Area Sound. Our executive producer is Marsha Louie, created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.